Okay, first order of business, get all this electronical stuff out of the way. Something on my head, I feel like I'm a pilot. I have something in my pocket. And I'm also going to bring my stuff down here. You guys don't mind if I come right where you are, do you? I am excited to be here tonight. It is so cool. There's people from all different places. I know we have people from Norwin Alliance, which is my home church. Um, do we have any Caldersport people here yet? There they are. We have people all the way from Caldersport Alliance. Let's hear it for them. Whoa. That's awesome. We have people from Kerwinsville, correct? Oh, they're usually so loud and noisy, but they're embarrassed, okay? So people from all over the place, it's exciting to see all of you here. I love the fellowship with people from different churches. So um, as Deb had told you, my ministry is Hope and Passion Ministries. We are a ministry not just to women. We are a ministry to men and women. And so if any of you are interested in having me come after you hear the message, I speak on Sunday mornings at churches. I have an apologetics course that I teach. I come and I just teach and speak the Bible. I just love the Word of God. Amen? How many of you love the Word of God? I don't like to fool around with topical stuff. I like to go straight to the Bible, expository preaching, let God's Word speak for itself. Amen? So that's what this is about. Um, The message tonight is called Diving Into the River of Life. Do you think that sounds exciting? How many of you wish you could still dive? All right? Now I want to tell you something. In all seriousness, Diving Into the River of Life, I love the title wasn't thinking about this when I gave it this title, but do you know that there is coming a day when you will be able to dive again? How many of you believe that? We are going to have newly resurrected bodies, and I believe we will in the new heaven and the new earth be able to dive in, we'll be able to swim, we'll be able to run, we'll be able to play, we'll be able to learn, we'll be able to explore. So it's just an exciting thing. Now, I don't know if I can still dive or not because I dove a long time ago and hurt my shoulder. But I'll tell you one thing. The ladies that went to the women's retreat know that I can still do a mean cannonball. How many of you are at the women's retreat? Okay. Now, the two uh, girls that helped me with Hope and Passion Ministries, we are a team, we travel together, Karen Fulton and Bria Craycraft, wave. They're in the back. See them back there? They're so embarrassed. They're like... Okay, well, watch this. So we went to Caldersport Alliance. I did a little women's retreat there, spoke on Sunday morning. They put us up in this wonderful Comfort Inn and Suites hotel. It was like a newer hotel, and they had this cool pool and hot tub. And so I am ever the competitor, never satisfied to just do anything status quo. So we're like swimming around in the pool. La-di-da-di-da. This is boring, you know. Bria is also very competitive. She's also very tall. She's like seven feet tall. Not quite. So I said, Karen's floating around, you know, and I know she's not quite as competitive. And I said, I'd love to do a cannonball in this pool. I said, who do you think could do a better cannonball, me or Bria? I said to Karen. So Karen had to sit in the back and be the judge. And we're in a three and a half foot hotel pool. I am doing cannonballs trying to create the biggest splash that I can. When all was said and done, who do you think did the better cannonball? Absolutely, Deb. Absolutely. There you go. You're my favorite. I did the better cannonball by far. Now, of course, Karen, ever wanting to be the nice person that she is, she's like, well, Bria can't help it. Her limbs are so long. It takes her longer to tuck them in before she hits the water. Give me a break, all right? So whether you're diving into the river of life or you're doing a cannonball into the pool of the, of the living water, Think of it however you want, but the whole point is we're going to immerse ourselves in the hope that God gives to us. Amen? 
We're not just lapping up some of this water. We're diving in to the river of life. God wants us to be fed. He wants to fill us up. Do you realize that? We are too busy doing so many other things that we don't get filled. But God wants to fill us up. Now, I am uh, by nature just a crazy type person. I'm also a little bit of a nerd. I'm also a bird watcher. Right? I love to do calculus. I love to watch birds. I love to do all kinds of strange things. And I've put so many bird feeders in my backyard. My poor husband. I'm telling you, he has to mow the lawn around all these bird feeders. I have so many feeders back there. I literally have a zoo in my backyard in the mornings. I'm going to start charging people to come to my house because this morning, for example, I had three bunnies, two squirrels, two chipmunks, goldfinches, bluebirds, or, um, blue jays, cardinals, purple finches, crows, brown-headed blackbirds, uh, red-winged blackbirds. All this is going on in my backyard at one time. Now, the funniest thing happened today, speaking of being fed. There was a crow back there that gets like nine inches long, nine or ten inches long, okay? And one of the feeders I have up is a suet feeder. How many of you know what suet is like? It's this block of like pasty kind of corn-looking stuff. I mean, you look at it and you're like, oh, it looks like a giant hunk of butter or something. Okay, but crows love it. So there was this crow, and he was out, and the feeder, the suet feeder is about three feet off the ground. The crow's like about nine inches long. And I've never seen anything so pathetic in my entire life. Have you ever seen a person that's really short trying to run and jump to dunk the basket in the basketball hoop? They, like, run and they're like, missed. And then they do it again, missed. Yes. Stupid crow. He is too heavy for the suet feeder, and he knows it. I have never seen this. I watched a crow 17 times in a row run, get a running head start, run to the suet feeder, try to jump three feet high, peck his beak at the suet, fall back down. About three of the 17 times, he actually knocked a piece of suet off, and he was so proud of himself when he started eating it. I'm like, this crow is desperate. And I've never seen anything, anything so comical in all my life. And all the other little sparrows, for once, they were just quiet. And they didn't even bother to go to the other feeders. They all sat on the fence like this. It was hysterical. But it made me think of the message for tonight. It made me think that we are that pathetic at times, trying to run our beaks into some sort of something to get a little bit of nourishment forgetting that we can come to God and we can drink from the river of the water of life. Amen? He wants to give us what we need. No need to jump up and down like the idiotic crow. That was quite funny. Now, what I'd like you to do is turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 55. This will be the main text for the message. And I also want to let you know, uh, I'm sure that Deb would confirm this. She's not in here right now, but... I know that a lot of you like to take notes and you like to see the passages that I'm going to refer to because I kind of talk, anybody can testify, I talk a little fast. Yeah, I get a little bit quick, I get a little bit excited. So here's the deal. When you leave, we will have outlines of the message, including all the scriptures. They're pre-printed. They will be back at the Hope and Passion table, which is right outside the door. There's also a Hope and Passion table with some books that I've published of devotions, some DVDs and CDs, but you can grab a free outline of the uh, passages that I refer to and the main points that I make. So don't feel like you have to write 100 miles an hour because it's very difficult to keep up with my mouth. 
Everybody's supposed to say, that's not true. You're so calm and gentle, shall we? Okay, Isaiah chapter 55 is the main text. We're going to go through the whole chapter. And uh, after I've spent about 45 minutes on verses 1 and 2, you'll be like, how are we going to go through the whole chapter? Well, it's going to be a long night, folks. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, 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 we'll get it done. Isaiah 55. Now, the first verse of Isaiah 55, it's real simple. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So this is an invitation that's being made. It's an invitation to come to water. And so before we start, it's really important when you study the Bible to study things in context. So let's talk about this for a minute. Water in terms of Palestine in biblical days. Palestine over there in the Middle East is a semi-arid country. They only get about 25 inches of rainfall per year. And from May to October, it doesn't rain at all. So back in Bible days, you have to remember, they didn't have bottled water. Amen? So water was very difficult to come by. It was an arid place. So I I studied this and I found that in Palestine, in biblical days, there were three main sources of water. The first and most coveted source of water was spring water, which is referred to in the Bible. There's a euphemism that God uses for that, and it's living water. Why would spring water be called living water? Because it's constantly what? It's constantly moving and coming up from the ground and filtered through the ground. Fresh, clean water. You don't have to do anything to get it except to walk right up to it and drink from it. Amen? That was the first and most coveted form of water in Palestine. It's why you'll see in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7, when God wants to take His people into the promised land, one of the things that He says that is so great about the promised land is it is a land that is full of springs and brooks and fountains. A place where you can get fresh water whenever you need it. Now, the second source of water in Palestine was wells. How many of you, when you're reading through the Old Testament, you read a lot about wells? Okay, we have Jacob's well, which appears again in John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well. These wells could be very deep, sometimes like 100 feet deep. They would collect groundwater for people. Then the third source of water, which was the least desired, would be cisterns. Now, I looked at a picture of one of the cisterns that Herod had dug near his palace. These cisterns were bottle-shaped or pear-shaped, and they were literally dug into the limestone. And in later days, became they would plaster the cisterns over, and they would roll a large rock over it because the cisterns would collect water that were coming off of rooftops or coming out of tunnels. It would just collect water that was runoff water. Now, you can imagine, as it would collect in those cisterns, not only was water collecting in there, But there was silt in there, and there was mosquito larvae. You know, I'm thinking of stink bugs floating around in there. You know what I mean? There's all kind of probably insects and all kind of gross things, but they were desperate for water. And these cisterns could also leak, obviously. They could ooze water out. It's important for you to understand that, because when you go to read the Bible, and you hear God make an invitation that says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, you can see why He might make that invitation. Amen? Because water was important to those people. And he says, and I can just picture Jesus doing this. I can picture Jesus making this grand invitation. You know, like we invite people to our birthday party. Come, come to Shelley's birthday party. All right, here's Jesus standing there. And he's looking at the entire world and he's saying, Come, if you're thirsty, come to the waters. 
And he's making an invitation to everybody and the only stipulation, the only qualification for you to come is you have to be what? You have to be thirsty. You don't have to be popular. You don't have to be rich. It doesn't matter if you already came to the waters before and if you're coming for the second or third or fourth time. He says as long as you're thirsty, what? You should come. Now, our minds go back to like when we were in third and fourth grade, you know, and the popular kid would have a birthday party. And everyone would be invited in the class except one or two kids. And sometimes that was us. Amen? How does it feel to be rejected, to not be invited? The first point I want to make to you is everyone is welcome to this invitation. God loves you no matter who you are, no matter who rejects you, no matter how life or your own sinfulness has made you feel. If you are thirsty, you are invited to what? Come. Come to the waters. Now, this is very, very important, and the reason God wants us to come, I want to mention to you an extremely important verse that maybe would have new meaning to you now in light of what I just taught you. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says this. God is speaking to His people, and He says, My people have committed two evils. Now, watch this. Evil number one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Amen? There is one source of living water as far as humanity is concerned, and His name is Jesus Christ. It is a constant flowing and fresh source of life and energy for you. And God says they have committed two evils. The first thing is they forsook me, the fountain of living water. Now check this out. And they have hewed cisterns for themselves. They dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And that is what we do, whether we are saved or unsaved, it is what we do when we turn away from the fountain of living water. Amen? How many of you have been there digging your own cistern and and you're digging and you're digging and you're working for something else and you're thinking some relationship will satisfy you or some level of success will satisfy you or if I just had more income, that will satisfy me or if I could just get that, if I could just dig out this for myself, if I could just do this thing and you build this cistern and you think, wow, look at what I'm getting. And before you know it, it starts what? Leaking everything out and it's like a cistern. It gets the mosquitoes in it. It gets all messy. It gets all gooey. It gets all gross. And you're like, wait a second, this isn't working for me. Because we commit two evils. We forsake the fountain of living water and we try to dig out cisterns for ourselves. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Anything else that you go after, anything else that you search for, anything else that you put in your hope, you put your hope in, it's gonna leak out. Amen? The first thing we have to understand, and here's why I'm saying this. This invitation to come to the waters is not just for unsaved people. Let me repeat this. Everybody in here, saved or unsaved, the invitation is for you. Maybe even more so sometimes to the saved. I sat down with a friend of mine at Panera the other day, and she's a real supporter of Hope and Passion Ministries, and we had our normal three-hour lunch at Panera Bread. Because, you know, I can talk when I preach, but I can also just talk. So we're talking for like three hours, and we're going on and on. Kathy says, I've been trying to tell my friends, you know, trying to tell some people about you and your ministry and describe it. And how would you describe what you are? <laughs> she goes, I can't ever quite get my, get my head around it. I can't ever quite describe it. I say, well, she's this, but she's that. She's this. And eventually, as we were talking, I said something about, I've always felt in my heart that I was called to be an evangelist to the saved. 
How many of you at the women's retreat and I taught on the second coming of the Lord feel like you were evangelized even though you were saved? Amen? I've always considered myself an evangelist to the saved. And that's what I'd like to say to you tonight. This is for the saved and the unsaved. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ tonight, I'm praying that you will by the time you leave here. But if you are a Christian, you need to come to the living waters. Amen? Because we make a mistake in the church of Jesus Christ. We have come somehow to believe that our salvation is something that happens in the past. Oh yeah, I was saved when I was X number of years old. By the grace of God, I was saved. That's when I came to the living waters. But now I kind of just live and make it on my own. Now I'm just trying to be a good little Christian. Guess what? You can't be a good little Christian without the living water again and again and again and again. The grace that saves you is the grace that keeps you. And if you're a Christian who's butting your head up against the wall and finding yourself depressed and overwhelmed all the time, it may just be that you quit drinking from the fountain of living waters. You thought that's something that happened to you one time and you don't need it anymore. You're wrong. You've got to keep coming and lapping it up. How many of you remember the chorus, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. There it went, the first, the first, the first spray of spit. Yeah, I think it almost got you. Look out, the first one. I can always tell when I'm getting revved up. Now there's no holding back. You got papers to hold up. I have no communicable disease. I don't have a cold. I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic of 30 years, but you can't catch that, so don't worry about it, all right? Okay, so here we go. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. And you can picture that deer that's going up and down the mountains in the heat of the day. The deer comes to the stream, the babbling brook of water, and the deer just begins to lap up with his tongue all that water to refresh himself. That is a psalm for the saved. How many of you feel like you've been running up and down the mountain and it's time to lap up some water with your big old tongue? Alright? That's what this is about. Psalm 63, verse 1. If you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 63, verse 1 is a psalm of David. And here's what David said in 63, verse 1. He said, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, David was really talking about a wilderness here, but this is, again, a metaphor. How many in this sanctuary this evening realize that we are living in a culture and in a world that is a dry and weary land where there is no water? I'm telling you what, it's like... Now, listen, if you've never seen this movie, don't go out and run it. And my mom will be is still to this day mad at my father for this. My dad, when we were little, he loved for us to watch horror movies. I'll never forget he let us watch that movie, The Ants, when we were really little. And my mom said, don't you let them watch that. One of them's going to have a nightmare all night long about ants. Sure enough, like three in the morning, my youngest brother gets up screaming, they're all over me, they're all over me. Okay, one of the movies that he got us to watch when we were young was Night of the Living Dead. The original, not the remake, the original black and white. Now this thing is disgusting. I can do a good imitation of the zombies. I won't trouble you with it if you're not interested. But just so you know, these things come back to life. Satellites explode in space. And because of the radiation, the recently deceased come back to life, okay? And they walk around kind of like this. 
They're, they're living, they're moving, okay? And they eat, they eat other living people that they bite, okay? So they come to this one dead body and they're getting, they, if you're squeamish, hold your ears. Okay, so they dig into the intestines of this one person. And they walk like this. Now they're very scary, but they can't move very quickly. They're very, very slow, but they're very, very deadly. Now, take no offense, but many times as I'm walking through the world, going through Walmart on any given day, in, in, in all and complete seriousness, I feel like I'm watching people who are physically alive and completely dead inside. And I got chills when I just said that. It's what's going on. And it's not just out in the culture. It's in the church of Jesus Christ. It's in Somerset Alliance Church, in Norwin Alliance Church, it's in Assemblies of God churches, and Methodist churches, and non-denominational churches. There are Christians walking around that aren't drinking from the fountain of river and life, and we're walking around like night of the living dead. We're alive physically, and we're in a dry and weary land on the outside. We're dead on the inside. Do you long to be alive? Do you realize there's something more? Amen? That's what this is about. Now, David said, I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, we can think about that as the culture and the world makes us so dry because it's so empty. It drives our passions towards things that it shouldn't. We get caught up in so much busyness and so much trying to do all kinds of stuff that don't matter. But I'll tell you where else dryness comes from. Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. It's not just the culture around us and the prince of the power of the air, the enemy trying to steal from us our joy. It's Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Listen to what the Bible says. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, how happy and how truly blessed are we when our sin is covered. Amen? Do you love it when you feel so guilty and so convicted and Jesus' blood comes and wipes it out? Like, man, I'm a free person. But listen to what it says next. It says, how blessed is him uh, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night God's hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. But I want you to, I want you to catch right around verses 3 and 4. It says, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I'll never forget one time we took my little nephews to Idlewild Park and it must have been 120 degrees. And you're standing in lines on the asphalt, you know, and you're waiting and, and the sun was beating down, it was so hot and you feel like you're going to what when that happens? You feel like you're going to faint. And the Bible says that your vitality can be drained away as with the fever heat of summer because of unconfessed sin. Amen? It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to keep short accounts with God. Don't let your sin go undealt with. The second you feel the Holy Spirit stirring you about something, you deal with it. Because it may be that you are dry and weary right now because of sinfulness is hidden in your heart that you refuse to deal with. 
But I want to go back to Isaiah 55 when it says, Come, come to the waters. That's a call to the saved and the unsaved. Amen? How many of you know the Beatitudes? You've heard of the Beatitudes. We famously quote them all the time. Do you know what Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says? Blessed, happy, right, blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who continually and always hunger and thirst for righteousness. I have a feeling that the Holy Spirit got a group of people in here tonight, and many of us are those who need to start hungering and thirsting for God again because He knew what this message was about. We are blessed to hunger. Listen, when I speak, when I preach, lots of times people will say, you're, you're kind of old-fashioned in the sense that you really preach the whole gospel all the time. It, it can touch anybody. It's not specific to a certain type of problem. It's not self-help psychology. Amen. I don't believe in self-help psychology. I can't help myself. Amen? Yeah, it took a while for some of you. Like, huh, huh, huh. Yeah, I don't believe in that because we can't help ourselves. All right? I recently read a really good... Um, Looking for my reading glasses. All right, I recently read a really good book by the grandson of Ruth and Billy Graham. And I don't know if any of you can pronounce his name. My pastor told me how to pronounce his name, and now I forget already. It's really wild. Tullian Tichvidian, I think it is. He wrote a really good book called Glorious Ruin, How Suffering Sets Us Free. And this is what he had to say about the gospel and the saved and the unsaved. In a section entitled The Tragic Reduction of the Gospel, he says... Something has gone wrong in our understanding of this gloriously backward economy. We've gotten it into our heads that after we face the dark side of sin at conversion, everything turns up roses from then on. We view conversion as a starting point of an upward-sloping journey in which Christians experience victory over sin, perfect health, meaningful marriages, successful businesses. We have absorbed the karmic notion that the Christian life is a steadily ascending staircase of actions and consequences. That's karma. That's false theology. That's damned theology. That's new age. We do not believe that the actions that we do in this life return to us in the next life. Amen? But we as the church have bought into that and we believe that you get saved, then you come to church and you hear a lot of, this is what you do now to make your life better and it's just going to get better and better and better. i got news for you. It's going to stink, 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 stink until Jesus comes back. It's going to be difficult, 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 difficult. The enemy is going to come after you, after you, after you, after you, after you. But the whole time you're going to have peace, 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 peace. Amen? I never said it like that, but that's pretty good. All right, so um, I didn't plan that one off. Okay, so, and then he goes on to say, the gospel is not a message reserved for those Sundays when you're encouraged to bring your unbelieving friend. It's the only message. You with me? Okay? For both the non-Christian and the Christian. As our idols reveal to us, we all have some corner of our lives where we need to be converted afresh. Where some false hope needs to die if faith is to be born. This is precisely why churches need to preach the basic gospel every Sunday. Sermons with advice about relationships or money or social justice will always fall flat regardless of how sound the advice may be. They don't take into account the depth of suffering experienced in the life of a believer or the sin that persists in every Christian. Amen? There's some dark corners in my soul. You have any dark corners in your soul? 
You feel like you wake up in the morning and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm saved, but I need God to constantly deal with me. Constantly, constantly. That's why this invitation of Isaiah 55.1 is for you. Whether you're saved or unsaved, it's time to what? Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. That's what this is about. Now, speaking of thirsty, how many of you have ever heard the story of the woman at the well? Yeah? Okay, turn with me. Keep your thumb in Isaiah 55 because we got real far there, didn't we? Okay, we're in verse 1. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is the story of the woman at the well. Um, this well was a well in Samaria. It was actually the well that Jacob had dug 2,000 years previous, and it was probably about 100 feet deep. Now, I want you to notice in John chapter 4, verse 6, what had happened was because of the Pharisees, Jesus was leaving Judea and heading toward Galilee, and in between, He went through Samaria. He had gone many, many miles by foot. It was noontime, and look at what verse 6 says. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, it was noon. What does it say that Jesus was here? He was what? He was weary. Really? Jesus got weary? He knew what it was like to not want to get up in the morning to pull the covers back over your head, only he probably didn't have a mattress or covers to pull back over his head, you know what I mean? He knew what it was to be tired, to be thirsty. Jesus, wearied as he was, sat down beside the well. Now, the first thing that I want to call to your attention is when I think of the cross, I think you have the, the horizontal bar and you have the vertical bar of the cross. Amen? Here is the miracle of it all. Jesus is sitting beside the well and He is thirsty. He wants, physically speaking, the molecules of H2O. God put on a human body and knew what it was like to need H2O and be tired. Okay? At the very same moment as he is weary and needing water, that's the horizontal bar of the cross, he is the God-man. And the vertical bar of the cross shows us that in the very moment that he needs literally the molecules of H2O, he's going to offer living water that leads to eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? This is the God-man, Jesus Christ, and He sits down beside the well. Verse 7, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we've all heard that kind of sermon before. The woman was all caught up in, uh, caught up in social distinctions, right? Why would you want to talk to me? I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. There's racial prejudice here. You won't want to have anything to do. Just understand one thing. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, what race you are, what social stratus you are, whether you live in a mansion or you don't have a home. Amen? Jesus wants to deal with you. Okay, so he put all that aside. And, and, and look, I want you to look at uh, verse 10. Jesus answered her. I want you to picture Jesus saying this to you. This is what he's saying. I picture him sitting beside the well, thirsty as he was. I kind of picture him holding out his hand and maybe cupping her chin, looking her straight in the face and saying to this woman, if you knew the gift of God. I want to stop right there. 
Because Jesus is saying that right now in the sanctuary. He's going around individually to every one of us and He's saying to us, if you knew the gift of God. We Christians don't get it sometimes. If you knew the gift of God and that it is Jesus sitting right here beside you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Amen? If you ask, you will receive. The problem is we're not really asking. We're so busy praying and asking for so many things. God, heal me of my hangnail. God, bring my blood sugar down. God, help us to sell our house. God, help us to get another car. Help my child to win the baseball game. Help me to do this. God, help me to do... We're so busy praying about so many scattered things. Jesus is... He's holding your face. And I know Marty won't mind if I do this. And He's saying, if you knew, if you only knew the gift of God, you'd quit and you'd ask me for living water. Amen? How many people could say amen to that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, For we have been born again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And how many Christians are living like they've been born into a living hope? Huh? That is the gift of God. If you only knew what God is trying to offer to you, and if you only knew that it is He, Jesus, it is the Spirit of Jesus Christ in Somerset Alliance Church Sanctuary right now. The Holy Spirit is here. How many would say Amen. Can you sense him here? The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is here in every row, sitting right beside you. He said, if you would know the gift of God and that it is me, Jesus, sitting beside you, saying to you, ask me and I'll give you living water. Ask me. But notice what the woman does. She does exactly what we do. Okay, he's like, the Holy Spirit is there. You know, he's saying, here, ask, ask, if you only understood and she's like, duh. The well's really deep. You don't have an instrument that could go down that far and get the water. I could just, I just love Jesus so much. Cause don't you think he should have like slapped his own head around? Okay. But, and that's probably what he's going to ask sometimes how we pray and how we act. He's like saying, ask me and I'll give you living water. And we're like, but Jesus, my problem's too deep. It goes too far. You don't understand what a mess I've gotten myself into. You don't understand the sin that I've committed. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know the problems that I'm facing. You don't know the health crisis that I'm in. You don't know what's going on. You don't have an instrument that could go that down deep and get me any water, Jesus. He's like, If you knew the gift of God, you would not get caught up in thinking there were any circumstances that could stop Him from giving you living water. Amen? Because read what He says in response to her. Well, she says, the the well's too deep, you don't have the instrument. She says, I love this, this is a classic statement. Are you greater than Jacob? Okay, I made Jacob. Okay, are you greater than Jacob? Because Jacob used to, he used to drink from this well and feed his livestock from this well. And if I were Jesus, I would have said, yeah, and Jacob's dead. Okay? Yes, I'm greater than him. Alright, because drinking water from a well does not make you live eternally. It quenches your thirst temporarily. And then Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give to him, oh no, I'm gonna get excited now. Spitting's coming. The water that I give to him will become in him a spring of water 
welling up to eternal life. Now the word for welling up there is the word for leap. And it's the same word that is used when the Bible talks about men literally jumping up and leaping off the ground. So Jesus says, if you drink the water I give you, I'm going to put the spring right in your heart. And that spring, that fountain will be constantly fresh flowing water that literally wells up to eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Now listen, a couple days ago I was down in Pittsburgh at the point. How many of you have ever seen the fountain at the point? I haven't been there much. I'm, I'm an uncultured person. So I've been down there a couple times and I was down there the other day and I'm like looking at it and I'm like, are my eyes playing tricks down there? Is it getting taller and shorter, taller and shorter? And it's just amazing. This huge fountain comes up and it gets real, real tall. And when, it's, and when it's really high, if you're hot, you can go near and the breeze blows the droplets all over your body and it cools you off. Amen? Jesus, I want you to picture that. Because Jesus is saying, I want to put my Holy Spirit in you who will be for you a spring, a fountain of living water that wells up, not just however many feet the fountain at the point wells up, but it will well up to eternal life. Ride the waves, baby, ride the waves. Jesus has put in me a fountain that is welling up to eternal life and I'm going to ride its waves the whole way up. You know, if I was light enough, I'd sit on that fountain and it would probably lift me up. You know what I'm saying? This is the fountain that will raise you up to eternal life. Now, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Welling up to eternal life. Here's what it means. Revelation chapter 22. Am I talking too fast? Oh, I'm getting revved up now. Okay, Revelation 22. This is where we're headed. This is the water that God will put in you. And here's what's going to happen. Watch this. Revelation 22, I, I think I'm, I'm quoting it from the ESV version, but you can follow along whatever version you have. Um, John is having a vision here. God is giving him a vision of heaven. He says, Then the angel showed me the river... What's it say? The river of the water of life. Hence the title, Diving into the River of the Water of Life. Okay, watch this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. You with me? So God's throne, that heavenly city, that new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven in a perfect cube. Oh, that's so awesome. That's a whole other story in itself. If you didn't come to Christmas outside the box, Get the DVD. There's a cube in the Holy of Holies unfolds. A cube unfolds perfectly across uh, into a cross. And a cross folds back up into a cube. And then the cube comes down in the New Jerusalem. It's a perfect 1,500 miles wide, high, long. That, that city comes down. We're going to walk through that city. And the Bible says the throne will be in the center. And flowing from the throne will be the river of the water of life flowing through the middle of the street of the city. Bright as crystal, it says. How many of you have ever seen a picture of like exotic places where the water is just totally clear? I can't wait for heaven. I don't have the guts to go scuba diving. And I'm too cheap to spend the money to go somewhere to do it. But when I get to heaven, baby, I can't wait to see the water there. The water of life is flowing, flowing through the middle of the street of the city. And watch this. And on either side of the street. So you've got the river through the middle of the street. And say these pews are the edges of the street. And on either side of the street is the what? What's it say? 
the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree were for the what? Healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. I'm going to tell you what. If you can't get excited about that, you're a zombie eating intestines. I'm telling you what. Listen to this. In the Garden of Eden, after we sinned, the tree of life was taken from us. And the cherubims gardened, guarded it and it was taken away. The tree of life reappears in the book of Revelation. Amen? And it is watered by the river of life. And the tree of life on either side of the street being watered by the river of life is growing leaves and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. I want you to picture if the throne of God were up here and we can't even imagine what that's going to look like and that river gushing forth and watering the tree of life on either side of the street. Do you know what it means no longer accursed, everything healed? Every broken body will be made well. Every cancer cell will be gone. Every broken bone, every weary mind, every mental illness will be healed by the tree of life. Amen? There will no longer be anything accursed. Every broken relationship will be healed. We won't struggle anymore. We won't envy. We won't hurt one another. There will be no more separation because there will no longer be a curse because the river will flow and will water the tree of life which is for the healing of the nations. The ground itself, the new heaven and the new earth, the earth itself will be healed of its tendency towards natural disasters Nothing will ever hurt again. There will be no more death or crying or mourning or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? That same water is in you through Jesus Christ. What are you doing with the spring of living water? Forget about the stuff that doesn't matter. Forget about what doesn't last. You have the spring of the living water that wells up to eternal life in your heart through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And one day we're going to that city and we're going to see that river. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 4. Now back to Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. Now I love this next part. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. How many are in that category? You who have no money, and we, and, and we laugh about it because it hits some serious note inside of us, but I want to tell you something. Jesus says, don't bring your credit card. Don't bring your debit card. Don't bring cash. Don't bring check. Don't bring good works. Don't bring your family's Christian heritage. Don't bring your Sunday school attendance record. Don't bring me a record of how much you gave in the offering. Don't bring me a list of how many family devotions you did. Don't give me a list of how many times you prayed. You with me? Bring what? Nothing. Don't you love it? I love when I can go somewhere and they say, bring no money and get everything. You want to eat at this table? You want to eat at this table? Bring nothing to the table. Amen? Psalm 36 I've just been studying Psalm 36 somewhere down around verse 5 or 6 or 7 or somewhere in there. My brain can't identify it right now. But in, in Psalm 36 it says, 
We will feast on the abundance of His house and He will give us to drink from the river of His delights. Amen? And what does it cost you? Nothing. You can't bring money. Here's the qualifications for the water of life. Be thirsty. How many of you are thirsty? And have nothing to bring. Don't bring anything. I want you to turn with me for a quick second. I want you to go to um, Psalm... Let's see, where do I want to take you? Psalm 49. That's right, Psalm 49. Look at this. I don't know if you've ever read this scripture before. It is deep and it is touching. And for those of you who have ever struggled with your own sinfulness and thought, God cannot possibly forgive me. I've gone too far. I've done too much. For those of you who have been in the church a long, long time, once we've hung around the church a long, long time, we start to think that it is our works that help us get closer to God. Amen? Not true. Watch this. Isaiah chapter, or Psalm chapter 49, verse 7. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. There's not, a, there's not any amount of money that you can pay or good works that you can do and stack up and say, God, don't I deserve to live? Don't I deserve eternal life? God will say, no, you never did deserve it and you don't deserve it now. No person can pay for the cost of his or her own life that we should live on forever and never see the pit. But look at verse 15. Here's the hope. But God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave, for He will receive me. Amen? Now listen, when I was young, so young that Target wasn't Target. Remember when it was Ames before Target? Okay, now let's go back a little bit further. No, the dinosaurs weren't alive, but Ames was Murphy Mart. How many of you remember Murphy Mart? Okay. Back when, uh, when Target was Murphy Mart, that's how uh, my brother John here, it's my brother John, wave John. Yeah, he's, he's blessed to be my brother. <laughs> okay, yeah. So anyway, it's been rough, hasn't it, John? Yeah. <laughs> I used to preach to him from a little homemade wooden pulpit. My parents would go out and leave my two brothers for me to babysit. I would put on a suit coat, dress up like Jimmy Swagger, wave a Bible around. This is not a lie. Full suit, it was a tan suit with a blue tie. Yeah, my dad made me a pulpit. I don't know why he did that. And then I would wave this Bible around. I'd preach it, my brother's the Word of God. Poor thing. Okay, so anyway, back when Target was Murphy Mart, that's how long ago it was, my mom took my brothers and I to the store and let us pick out a little toy for ourselves. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I know God had it happen for a reason. We were standing in line to pay for our little toy. There were two people in front of us that day at the cashier's line. There was a little boy who had on ripped up holy jeans, a dirty ripped up t-shirt, and unkempt hair. He just looked like he hadn't had a bath, like nobody was taking care of him. He looked very, very poor. And right behind him there was an old lady leaning on a cane. So the little boy got up to the checkout and all he laid on the counter was a pack of bubble yum or bubblicious or something like that. He put it up on the counter. There was a teenage cashier checking him out. And I mean, she was chawing on gum and she looked like the most heartless, I don't care what's going on around me kind of person there was. Now this was back in the day when the cash register actually went... Now I know it did because for years I told my mom, when I grow up I want to be a cashier because I like the sound of the... 
I still do. All right, so that's, but then when they went to scan scanners and all that, and it doesn't make any noise, I don't want to be a cashier anymore. Okay, but I would have then. So he put his pack of gum up there, and the cashier, she's chawing on her gum, and she goes, and she looked at the little boy, and she said, that'll be 20 cents or whatever the cost of Bubblicious was back in the day. And I will never forget this, true story. The little boy started digging through his pockets of his holy jeans. He started digging and digging and digging. And all he could muster up were two pennies. And he took the two pennies and he laid it down on the counter. And that heartless teenage cashier looked him in the face and she said, Sorry, that's not going to be enough. The little boy looked like he was going to burst into tears. And just about the time he did, the old lady leaned off her cane and snapped open the ugliest pocketbook you ever want to see. You know, the Paisley. I know that stuff's coming back in, but not on me. You see my style. Okay, so she snapped open the ugliest puzzle you ever see, and she pulled out a crisp, clean $1 bill. Never forget it. Brand new dollar bill. She laid that dollar bill on top of those two pennies, and she stared that cashier right in the eyes, and she said, this ought to just about cover it. And that little boy turned around and grinned at her, and he ran out of that store happy as could be. Now listen. You and I are standing in the line of life. We do not have what it takes to pay for our own forgiveness. I don't care what sin you have committed, how big or small you think it is, you can't pay for your own peace of mind and forgiveness and guilt to be gone. Amen? We can't buy our own hope. You who have no money, come by and eat. And just about the time we're going to give up because we have nothing we know that's going to meet the need, we turn around and there stands Jesus with a nail-scarred hand. And he lays it on top of our two pennies, looks the devil straight in the face and says, this ought to just about cover it. And we go away free. Amen? You who have no money, you can come and eat. Amen? Does that make you feel good in your soul? I'll tell you what, uh, it's, it's, there's another psalm, I think it's Psalm 39, I preached on at my home church not too long ago on Sunday morning. Psalm 39, somewhere in there, it's talking about David is praying, Lord, help me to know my end, know the number of my days, know how brief my life is. And he, he says down around somewhere in, in uh, chapter 39, he says, Men and women, people go around in turmoil their whole life, not even knowing who will gather their wealth in the end. We go around trying to gain so much for ourselves and it can't even buy us what we need. Amen? It cannot suffice. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. And then Isaiah, it gets more specific here. He's talking about coming to the waters, but then it says, come by wine and milk. You know, I thought I was getting water. Get wine and milk too? Okay, listen, I believe God has some reasons for saying this. I believe that milk, milk is always a sign of nourishment in the Bible. And I want to tell you something. When you come to the fountain of living water, you get the milk of the Word of God. Amen? I'll tell you what, Jesus has ascended and gone up to heaven and of course we have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit Himself with us at all times. But this book is the one tangible thing from God that exists on the face of the earth. Amen? We need to treasure it. We need to love it. We need to read it. 
We need to memorize it. Don't tell me you can't memorize it. You can memorize enough of it. You memorize sports scores. You know who's leading in whatever team, whatever sport they're in. Women, you know, we know all kinds of things about, you know, dancing with the stars and we know what the sales are at Coles and Pennies and all that stuff. You can memorize the Word of God. Amen? We get the milk. We get the nourishment of the Word of God. This will change your life if you stay in it, if you get in it, if you study it, if you commit yourself into it. And I want to tell you what else. It says we get wine. When, when I think about wine, I think of two things in the Bible. I think, first of all, my mind goes to Jesus at the Passover with His disciples in Matthew, um, I think it's chapter 26, verse 39, somewhere around there. It's the Passover. And Jesus is sharing the juice. He's sharing the cup with His disciples. And He says this. He says, but I tell you. Now imagine, He's about to go to the cross. He's about to shed His blood and suffer beyond imagination for us. And He says, but I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That touches me. He knew what he was going to do. And he said, I know what I'm going to have to face now. I know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it because I know there's coming a day when I am going to sit down. This is Jesus talking. When I am going to sit down with my friend Connie, with my friend Jenna, with my friend Deb. There's coming a day when I will drink the fruit of the vine and I will drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Can you wait for the wedding supper of the Lamb? Do you realize that in heaven you'll have a real body? Oh, you, you guys know you can get me worked up if you start talking about heaven. You're not floating on a cloud. You're not playing a harp. You're not eating cream cheese unless you like harps and cream cheese. You are running. You are doing calculus. You are building Legos. You are shooting basketball. You are doing cannonballs. You are exploring the universe. You're going to Pluto and Jupiter. And you're looking at all the things that God has made and you're enjoying His kingdom forever. It's real. You'll have a body and you'll really eat. Now, as an insulin-dependent diabetic, can't wait for that day. No injection preceding the food. Chocolate, peanut butter, ice cream, out the wazoo, I can't wait. And it doesn't matter, I'll be eating. When I think of wine, I think of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now you think I'm crazy. You can go way back to, uh, well we're in Isaiah, but you can go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 25. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 25 is a prophecy about the second coming of the Lord. And here's what it says. In Isaiah chapter 25, I think it's around verse 6. The Lord of hosts, will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. How many of you know that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass dimly? We don't understand. We don't get it. We don't know it all. We don't know fully, but then we will. He's going to remove the veil. Amen? It says he will swallow up death for all time. No more funerals. No more standing at the bedside of dying loved ones. 
No more emaciation of bodies. Amen? He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. And on that day it will be said, Behold, this is the Lord for whom we have waited that He might save us. Amen? I want to tell you something. You may be sitting here tonight. You may be shaking your head. You may be in full agreement with me, getting stirred up in your spirit. You may be sitting there thinking, this is a bunch of baloney. I don't believe one bit of it. I'm going to tell you something. On that day, you will watch me say, I will look you in the eyes if you didn't believe me, and you will watch me say, this is the day that I was waiting for. And God did exactly what He said He was going to do. Amen? And I will sit with a very real body and I will hug you with very real arms and we will eat choice pieces with marrow and drink refined aged wine. Whatever that is that God is trying to give us as a metaphor to show us, we will eat. Did He eat with His resurrected body? Broiled fish, baby. You know? Bread and fish. Okay, we are going to eat. It is real. Come, you who have no money, buy. And and we get wine and we get milk and we get nourishment from Him. And the Bible goes on to say, it asks this rhetorical question. I want you to ask yourself this. I want you to kind of hone in as we come towards the end. I want you to ask yourself this question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why are you doing that? Why are you running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to work so many overtime hours so that you can have more stuff? What's it mean? Why do you have the television on for three hours at night instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Him and learning His Word and finding out what true hope is? Why are you doing that? Why are you running around like a crazy person spending your time and your affection on other people and other stuff and other things and careers and all this and that and not on Jesus? Because it will never satisfy. Amen? That's what it says. It says, why do you do this? And three times, this is what God says. He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Remember Night of the Living Dead? You want your soul to live. You don't want to be a body walking around without a soul that's alive. Amen? And how do you get a soul that's alive? Quit laboring and start listening. Amen? Quit laboring and start listening. The dust in your house will wait for you. You don't need four cars. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need more activities for your kids. They're not going to be better off if they do 18 outside activities versus 15. We need to listen and sit at the feet of Jesus. Amen? We need to simplify our lives. Listen, hear, spend time with Jesus that your soul may live. Now here's what it goes on to say. Go down to verse 6 of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have what? Mercy or compassion on him. Listen. If God says, seek the Lord while he may be found, the implication is 
there's a time coming where you won't be able to find Him. See, I'm all about preaching the truth. God holds me responsible for your soul. I take this responsibility most seriously. I have to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And I want to tell you something. Whether through your own death or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's not much time left. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Return to the Lord that He may hammer your head and punish you forever for going away from Him. Isn't that what it says? What's it say? Let him return to the Lord that he might what? Have mercy on him. Now he goes on to say, and I know the Holy Spirit is touching some hearts right now, so listen, it does not say return to the Lord after all your waywardness and your sin and your neglect of your relationship with him so he can hammer you and punish you and make you feel guilty for 15 more years. That's not what it says. It says he wants to have mercy on you. Now look, the next verses say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than yours and my thoughts than yours. Now, I know what I'm like. If somebody wrongs me a couple hundred times, I'm about to punch them in the face. That's humanness. God says, I don't think the way you think, and I don't react the way you react. When a man or woman repents, I show mercy. Amen? He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how much higher my ways and my thoughts are than human ways. See, we get used to conditional love. We get used to reactional love. Human love tends to react. You do right by me and I'll react. Well, you do wrong by me and I'll treat you like a jerk. God doesn't act that way. All right? God's love is unconditional. He says, as far as the heavens are above the earth. How far are the heavens above the earth? We can't tell. We can't measure it. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding at a bounded rate. That galaxies are racing farther and farther apart from each other all the time. And I think God did that on purpose to show us that we will never be able to measure how high the heavens are above the earth. Amen? Because so many times in his word, he says, that's how much greater my love is and my thoughts are than human love. As a matter of fact, and I'm so glad you asked, you wanted to know how big the universe was? Listen, our solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy. We are one galaxy of billions of galaxies. Our nearest neighboring galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy. It is 2.5 million light years away. So if the, if the Milky Way galaxy wanted to borrow a cup of sugar from the Andromeda galaxy, this is how long it would take to get there. Now watch this. In the time it takes me to say one, light travels 186,000 miles in one second. At that rate of speed, it would take light 2.5 million years to get to our nearest neighboring galaxy in the local cluster of galaxies, of the billions of galaxies we know of through technology like the Hubble Space Telescope. It's as if God knew in the year 2013 
that we would not be able to measure how far the heavens are above the earth. And he says to you, that's how much differently I react to you than you react to me or one another. Amen? Return to the Lord. Now let's finish it up, these last two sections. It says in verse 10, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I want to tell you something that is 100% positively absolutely sure. When God's word goes out, it does something. Now, this is incredibly important. I used to be a math teacher Moved up through the educational system. I became a principal. Wow, that seems like such an important job. You're in charge of the safety of hundreds of kids and all their educational. Yeah, not as important as what I'm doing right now standing in this sanctuary. Because I'm handling the Word of God with the souls of human beings. And I will stand before God for what I say. And I want to tell you something. I want to make something very, very clear. One of the most dangerous places to be in the face of the earth is in a church pew week after week after week. Because the Word of God will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. The Word of God was sent here tonight, and every one of you, I prayed that God would bring exactly every person that He wanted to be here into this place. And here you are, and the Holy Spirit is here, and the Word has gone forth in faithfulness. And I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom we are all the worst. Amen? So His Word is intended to save you and to get you to drink from the water of life tonight. But the Bible also says, without equivocation, that if you will not respond by repenting and drinking from the water of life, then your heart will grow harder towards God. There is a real hell. There is a real heaven. As surely as John 3.16 is true and will accomplish everything that God attended by it, Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 are also true. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I want to tell you something. One of the reasons I love and believe in my God is because of hell. I don't apologize for hell. You know why? If there's no hell, this life is as good as it ever gets. You ever think about that? Because hell is the place where God will vanquish all evil and those who want to go that direction. And if there's no hell, if there's no place where all of that is vanquished, where all of that is thrown, where all of that is dispelled with, then this life is as good as it gets. And we're very hopeless in that case. Amen? There is a hell because God dignifies every human being in their response to His Word. And if you choose not to go the way of righteousness, then you won't fit in the new heaven and the new earth, which is the home of righteousness. Which is a home for people who are going in the direction of loving one another, doing right by God, doing right by each other, doing right, living holy lives. Amen? We want to go to heaven because heaven is right 
If you're not into righteousness, why would you want to be into heaven? I believe in hell because God wants to make things right. His word will accomplish what he says. His word will one day and finally vanquish evil, Satan, all demonic powers and every human being who chooses to go that direction. God will have a hell, but he will also set up the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? Amen. Now watch this. The last section of Isaiah 55. Oh, I love this. You've probably sung this in a song before or heard it before. For you shall go out in joy. Say it with me. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Now listen to this. This is, Isaiah is using a principle here called the law of double reference. Isaiah is prophesying into the immediate future what it is going to feel like for the people of God to come out of exile from Babylon and into the promised land again. Okay? But he's also prophesying out into the new heaven and the new earth. To heaven! Amen? And he's saying, for right now, for the people of God, for Christians, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Amen? No matter what hell brings against you, you can go out in joy as a Christian. It doesn't matter what the doctor said. It doesn't matter what problem you face. It doesn't matter how difficult life gets. You can have a joy in your heart because you are drinking from the water of life and you know the hope to which you were born into. And you know the direction this entire universe is headed. Amen? You shall go out in joy. You shall take the covers down off your head in the morning, pound on the snooze on the alarm, and get up with joy. You shall go out of your front door in the morning with joy. You shall go out of, of, of Walmart with joy. You shall open the door of your car and go out to your place of enjoyment in joy. You shall be led forth in peace. You will go to the doctor's office and you will still have peace. You will deal with the situations in your family and you will still have peace. Now, we don't realize that in its absolute fullness in this life, but we get a taste of it here. But I want to tell you something. There is a day coming when the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Hallelujah. And instead of the thorn will come the cypress, and instead of the briar will come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Do you know there is a day coming when Jesus comes back and sets into motion the new heavens and the new earth? Do you know that the mountains and the hills will sing as it were? And they will sing because they will say, the mountains will say, no more do we have to quake. And the hills will say, no more will a forest fire sweep through us. And the trees in the field will clap their hands as they watch the children of God redeemed in their new bodies, never to sin again, walking through the new heavens and the new earth in perfect relationship and love for each other, petting the animals of the new heaven and the new earth, running and leaping in perfect health. Amen? The trees of the field will clap their hands and they will rejoice in re-becoming the children of God we were always meant to be. Do you ever look at that that way? That's the promise. And as I continue to spit, I take you to one more place in your Bible because we can't end with the trees of the field clapping just hanging there like that. 
Romans chapter 8. Everybody go to Romans chapter 8. And in the margin of your Bible, you might want to make a connection point. The end of Isaiah 55 connects beautifully and perfectly with Romans chapter 8. Now check this out. You think I'm crazy about the trees of the field? I know. You think I'm crazy. You're just not sure why. But Romans chapter 8, watch this, verse 18. Paul said in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now watch this. For the creation, not people, well, we're part of it, but the whole creation, the whole universe, look at this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, decay, destruction, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, because of our sin, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. On the day you're set free from sin and the curse, and everything that could possibly break you and hurt you, the trees of the field are going to rejoice with you. Amen? Because they are part of the creation God made. God made the trees before He made us. He made the trees to be a part of what we live in and rejoice in, and they will be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? When you look out at the beautiful sunset tonight, when you hear the birds singing in the trees, and you think about your own death, your death is not going to be the end of you seeing trees and birdies singing. And sharks, which are one of my favorite animals in the world. I love sharks. My mom recently read me an article that zoos are starting to have like sleepovers for people. You can sleep near the shark tank. You can wake up at like 3 in the morning and peek up at the bull shark whizzing by. And she said they're, they're opening that up to youth groups and stuff. Hey, I know where Norman Alliance Church is going for their next, uh, you know, their next night out on the town. We're going with the sharks, baby. But this is exciting because the whole creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Now look at verse 21 or verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the Holy Spirit in us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now the implication there is that we, we haven't fully been adopted yet. You see what I'm saying? We were saved, but the fullness of our salvation has not yet been revealed. Amen! Amen? Waiting for our adoption as children. How is it defined our adoption? The redemption of our bodies. It's not done until your body comes out of the ground. Amen? If Jesus doesn't come back before you die and they put your body in the ground, your body's coming out. It's coming out. It's not worm food. It's Jesus stuff. He's going to resurrect your body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Amen? 
1 Corinthians 15.54 When this perishable has put on the imperishable and this mortal body has been clothed with immortality, then the saying that was written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And I want you to believe that there's a day coming. You come find me. I'll be somewhere in a part of heaven where the calculus books are. (laughs) Or the Legos. You come find me. And let's go walking near the river of the water of life. Let's take a dive in there together. And then let's go walk by the trees and watch them clap their hands as they finally rejoice and say, Jesus has brought it all together. Amen? And who gets this wonderful treasure? Everyone who thirsts and has no money.